Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 209 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. Coming up in this week's episode, we have news that Volkswagen has been fined 1.1 million euros for breaches of GDPR because of having cameras in its car during test drives. We then come to the UK, where the UK Parliament has closed its TikTok account because of concerns of Chinese access to the data. We then have news that Burger King has been sending out blank receipts, which have caused a data breach false alarm. Men travel to America and stay with fast food, and a Wendy's shareholder has lost their legal challenge through a data breach settlement. We then have news of a data breach at communications company Twilio. We then look at the new ICO three-year plan, ICO 25. And we then have news that the UK and the USA have announced a joint data access statement. We then travel to Brussels where the European Parliament has formally adopted the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. We then travel to France where Amazon has lost its appeal against a €35 million penalty imposed by CNIL. And staying in France with CNIL, CNIL has fined Total Energies €1 million for breach of GDPR. We then return to the UK where Ditson Stores Group has succeeded in getting quarter of a million pound wiped off its penalty imposed by the ICO for a data breach. And then we travel to Ireland where judgment is expected soon in the DPC investigation into the handling of children's data by Instagram. We then return to Brussels with a really unusual case where a German citizen is suing the EU Commission saying that it itself is breaching GDPR on one of its websites. We then have news of a data breach at Cisco after voice phishing or phishing, which is a whole new concept and perhaps one that everyone needs to just be aware of. We then travel to Malaya, where Malaya Central Bank is investigating a possible data breach. And we then have news at a data breach at image theft software company Pixie. We then travel to Massachusetts in the USA, where Actusoft has reported a data breach. And then to New Jersey, where Acorn Financial Services has reported a data breach. Remaining in the USA, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, the ADPPA, has made its way to the US House of Representatives. And this has been quite exciting because it's the first time that there's a real chance of there being a federal law regarding data protection in the USA. We then return to Brussels when NOIB is targeting what it is calling hopeless cases for non-cookie compliance in accordance with GDPR and PECA. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. And of course, as always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. We begin with week in Germany and on the 28th of July 2022, the Lower Saxony Data Protection Authority announced that it has imposed a fine of 1.1 million euros on Volkswagen due to GDPR violations. It found that Volkswagen has violated data protection regulations when it tested a driving assistance system while using a service provider in 2019. For its part, Volkswagen has accepted the fine. It's understood that Volkswagen conducted vehicle outings in a test car on which cameras were attached for testing and training a driver assist system designed for preventing traffic accidents. The cameras recorded the traffic around the car for error analysis. In 2019, the car was stopped by Austrian police near Salzburg for a traffic check 
as police officers had noticed the unusual attachments. Following an investigation, a Lower Saxony Data Protection Authority found that Volkswagen had violated GDPR in four ways. Firstly, it said signs with the camera symbol and the other prescribed information for the data subjects, the other road users in this case, were missing due to an oversight. This violated Article 13 of GDPR, pursuant to which when data is processed, the data subjects must be informed about who is carrying out the processing as well as the purpose of the processing and the period for which the personal data will be stored. Secondly, the authority said that Volkswagen did not enter a data processing agreement with the service provider who carried out the test. This constitutes a violation of Article 28 of GDPR. They also found Volkswagen in breach of Article 35 of GDPR because no data protection impact assessment had been carried out in which the possible risks and their mitigation should have been before the data processing began. And finally, they said there was no explanation of the technical and organisational protection measures of processing activities. This constituted a breach under requirements of Article 30 of GDPR. The authority said to its credit, Volkswagen had immediately remedied these violations and cooperated fully with the authority. The Lower Saxony Data Protection Authority deemed these violations of a low level of severity. It also pointed out that it has no objections to the selection and processing of personal data during such test drives, also taking into consideration that processing services optimise the driving assistance system designed to prevent accidents road safety. Despite this rather mild assessment, the Lower Saxony Data Protection Authority, after cooperating with other European data protection authorities concerned, pursuant to Article 60 of GDPR, imposed a substantial fine of 1.1 million euros on Volkswagen. Everyone should take note of this because it shows that even GDPR violations you might think of relatively low severity may nevertheless lead to substantial fines by data protection authorities. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Westminster now and not the Conservative leadership contest, but instead a issue with TikTok. Citing that TikTok is providing user data to the Chinese government, the British Parliament has shut down its TikTok account. In a statement, the Parliament said they'd shut down their TikTok account after some members of Parliament, sanctioned by China, had raised concerns about data security. Just six days after opening the account, Parliament's authorities confirmed they deactivated their social media profile. The members of Parliament expressed concern about the relationship between TikTok and its Chinese owner ByteDance. Senior politicians expressed doubt that the TikTok user data was shared with Chinese multinational internet technology ByteDance. It is understood that a letter was sent to the speakers of the House of Commons and the House of Lords by Conservative politicians including Tom Tuggenhut, who was involved in the ship contest, Ian Duncan-Smith and Nazjani all of whom are subject to sanctions by Beijing, and they all expressed their concerns and asked for the account to be taken down. A spokesperson for the UK Parliament said, based on member feedback, we are closing the pilot UK Parliament TikTok account earlier than we planned. The account was a pilot initiative while we tested the platform as a way of reaching younger audiences with relevant content about Parliament. For TikTok, a spokesperson said, while it's disappointing that Parliament will no longer be able to connect with the millions of people who use TikTok in the UK, we reiterate the offer to reassure those members of Parliament who raise concerns and clarify any inaccuracies about our platform. Conservative MP Ghani thanked the speakers for showing serious spine in defending our values, protecting our security and sharing our concerns about TikTok. If you've been a customer of Burger King and driven on your email account, you might have been surprised earlier this week to have received what appeared to be a blank receipt. It's understood that Burger King reportedly emailed thousands of its customers with a blank order email receipt around 5.15pm UK time on Tuesday this week. Those customers who received the blank emails were not surprisingly confused by why Burger King had sent a totally blank email to them. 
However, despite initial concerns that Burger King had been hacked, it does appear that this was a genuine mistake by an employee at Burger King or one of their agencies who, by mistake, chose to send a blank email to thousands of their customers. So if you did receive this email, and it would have come from Burger King's promotional marketing email address, then simply delete it. There's no need to do anything else with it. It's not a case of your data in hack. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Staying with fast food, been American now, and a Wendy's shareholder lost his bid to appeal a district court approval of a settlement with the fast food giant over claims that the board and executives didn't uphold their fiduciary duties following a 2015 data breach of its payment card system. Thomas Tarashi claimed that the settlement, which he hadn't participated in, dramatically reduced his entitlement to an attorney's fees award despite his participation in a related derivative case. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit affirmed the district court's decision on Thursday, saying the lower court acted within the bounds of its wide discretion to manage shareholder litigation. Tarashi argues that the district court erred in appointing James Graham, another shareholder's attorney, as lead counsel. Graham's counsel had litigated one of the first cyber breach derivative lawsuits in federal court, while Tarashi's counsel refused to work on an equal footing with other interested parties and sought up to 90% of the attorney's fees, Judge Chad A. Beadler said for the court. Tarashi's objections to the decision were insufficient, the judge said. Tarashi also argued that the district court should have allowed him to make a more robust objection with information from the mediation and settlement negotiations, but the court said that non-disclosure agreements required him to maintain the confidentiality of the settlement discussion. This report allowed Tarashi to conduct discovery on a range of issues regarding the settlement, but Tarashi came home empty-handed. Read the vote. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. Cloud communications giant Twilio, the owner of the highly popular two-factor authentication provider Authy, says that it so far identified 125 customers who had their data accessed during a security breach discovered last week. Twilio added that the attackers behind this incident weren't able to gain access to the affected client's authentication information. In a statement, Twilio said we've identified approximately 125 Twilio customers whose data was accessed by malicious actors for a limited period of time and we've notified all of them. There is no evidence that customer passwords, authentication tokens or API keys were accessed without authorization. The attackers gained access to Twilio's network using credentials belonging to multiple employees stolen in an SMS phishing attack. After discovering the intrusion, Twilio revoked the compromised employee credentials to block the attackers' access to its systems and started notifying affected customers. The company also asked several US mobile carriers to shut down the accounts to deliver the phishing, but the threat had to switch to new accounts and resume their attack. Twilio said it had coordinated its account takedown request with other tech companies that have also been targeted in similar attacks. Cloudflare, whose employees have also had their credentials stolen in a similar SMS phishing attack, said the attackers failed to breach its systems after their login attempts were blocked because its employees are using company-issued FIDO2 compliant hardware security keys. While the attacker attempted to log into our systems with the compromised username and password credentials, they couldn't get past the hard key requirement, Cloudflare said. Twilio also disclosed that in May 2021 that it had been affected by last year's CodeCob supply chain attack, where threat actors trojanized the legitimate CodeCob bash uploader tool to steal credentials and secret keys from CodeCob customers. Twilio provides programmable voice, text, chat, video and email APIs used by over 10 million developers at 150,000 companies, including Coca-Cola, Salesforce, Dow, Twitter, VMware, Uber, Stripe and eBay, 
to build customer engagement platforms. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. On July of 14th this year, the ICO launched its draft three-year strategic plan called ICO 25. ICO 25 contains four strategic objectives. Firstly, safeguarding and empowering people. Secondly, empowering responsible innovation and sustainable economic growth. Thirdly, promoting openness, transparency and accountability. And fourthly, continuously developing the ICO's culture, capability and capacity. ICO 25 also includes an annual action plan setting out the ICO's priorities for the coming year. The ICO is now consulting on its purpose, objectives and performance measures as described in ICO 25. The consultation will close on the 14th of September 2022 and the findings will be used to inform the final version of the ICO 25 plan, which will be published in the autumn. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR show, you may have heard us talk about the US-EU Data Privacy Shield. Well, whilst we're still awaiting the latest version of that shield, the US and UK have released a joint statement setting out an intention to bring into force a data access agreement we designed to counter serious crime on the 3rd of October 2022. The agreement will allow investigators from each country to gain better access to vital data to combat serious crime. Information and evidence held by service providers within each country relating to serious crime will be more readily accessible. The joint statement also clarified that the agreement will maintain democratic and civil liberty standards, although it's unclear if the agreement will have any implications for UK's EU adequacy status, given the additional powers that US and UK authorities will have to access personal data. We will, of course, keep an eye on this here on GDPR Weekly Show and bring you any updates as soon as they become available. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. On the 5th of July 2022, the European Parliament formally adopted its Digital Services Package, comprising the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, and Digital Services Act, the DSA. The DMA will regulate the main services provided by the biggest online platforms operating in the EU. It will require these platforms, known as gatekeepers, to perform a series of obligations and prohibitions in their daily operations to ensure fair and open digital markets. In the meantime, the DSA will regulate how online platforms handle illegal or potentially harmful online content by establishing a powerful transparency and accountability network and placing obligations on online companies proportionate to their role and size. Both the DSA and the DMA must now be formally adopted by the Council of the European Union and then be published in the official journal. The acts are expected to enter into force before the end of 2022. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. To France now, and Amazon has failed in seeking to persuade the Council of State, France's highest national court, to overturn CNIL's December 2020 decision imposing a fine of 35 million euros arising out of Amazon's breaches of obligations under the French Data Protection Act to obtain explicit consent to deploy cookies that enabled targeted advertising personalised for individual citizens. Senior had held that the information provided by Amazon was neither clear nor complete in the information banner of the site and only contained a general and approximate description of the purposes with cookies without details on their role, the right to refuse and how. The decision and the significant fine imposed in circumstances where Amazon had rectified the identified issues serves as an important reminder to tech companies of CNIL's increased focus on protecting the privacy of internet users. I think as a general rule as well, from an outsider's perspective, 
it's good to see a court upholding initial penalty rather than significantly reducing it, as has happened in the case in the last few months, of course, with British Airways. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Staying in France, and CNIL has fined the French energy company Total Energies France €1 million Euros after identifying multiple breaches of GDPR arising out of 18 complaints. The breaches include failing to respond to data subject access requests, respond to requests for access and deletion, or offer the option to object to processing for marketing purposes. We approached Total Energies France for a statement, but by the time we joined the broadcast, we've not heard back. The Upper Tribunal has recently handed down judgment in Dixon's Retail Limited versus the ICO, arising out of an appeal by Dixon's to a monetary penalty imposed by the information listener on the 7th of January 2020, fining Dixon's Retail Group half a million pounds, the maximum available under the Data Protection Act 1998, for a number of data security failings in the context of significant data breach in 2017-18, which we first brought news to you of here on the GDPR Weekly Show way back in episode 73. The first tribunal determined that although the monetary penalty notice was wrong in law, a penalty of £250,000 was appropriate. The tribunal applied a holistic approach to compliance with the seventh data protection principle, i.e. the obligation to allow a degree of permissiveness in its exercise of judgment, and declined to treat post-breach remedial action as indicative of earlier breaches of Data Protection Principle 7. Data Protection Principle 7 requires organisations to take appropriate technical and organisational measures against unauthorised or unlawful processing of personal data, and against accidental loss or destruction of or damage to personal data. Of the 10 breaches of DPP 7 relied on by the ICO, the Tribunal found that only two were made out on the facts relating to DSG's failure, to maintain up-to-date security patches and issues with Dixon Store Group's password policy, which issues have since been flagged to Dixon's senior management but not ratified. Given the nature and volume of personal data which was put at risk by this conduct, the tribunal imposed a significant, albeit reduced, fine. So Dixon saw their fine reduced from half a million pounds to a quarter of a million pounds. A final decision on a complaint against Instagram's handling of children's data in the European Union is expected within weeks following the completion of a procedural mechanism to resolve regulatory disputes over how to enforce GDPR. The inquiry about Instagram's handling of kids' data was opened by the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, as its lead data supervisor in the EU, way back in September 2020. It's understood that a final decision could come as early as the end of this month with a hard deadline for the first week of September. The GPC's Deputy Commissioner, Graham Doyle, confirmed the decision has passed through GDPR's Article 65 dispute resolution process. He said, we got it back from the EDPB last week. We'll have a decision either the end of the last week in August or the first week in September. It has to be concluded by the first week in September. Details of what exactly the block state protection regulators have collectively concluded and the penalties Instagram will face, assuming they've been found to have breached GDPR, and not yet being made public. But the DPC's inquiry was opened after complaints Instagram was leaking the contact information of children by letting them set up business accounts on its platform which made their contact information public by default. For the Instagram complaint, the DPC opted to open a so-called own volition inquiry rather than acting solely on a specific complaint, although it says its inquiry commenced after information was provided to it by a third party as well as it had been in connection with processing it had identified itself. 
The DPC confirmed today that the scope of its inquiry covers the issue of the processing of children's data for Instagram business accounts and also a session element involving a user registration system the platform operated, which it found could lead to the accounts of children being set to public by default, unless the user changed the account settings to set it to private. Instagram CEO Adam Mazzeri recently announced he would be temporarily relocating to London this year. It's not clear whether regulatory concerns factored into that decision, but it will certainly be closer to policymakers who are making the most running when it comes to regulating tech giants and social media. Last year, Meta announced it was pausing development of a version of Instagram specifically aimed at children under 13 after a major backlash over concerns about the platform's mental health impact on teenagers. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Brussels now, and a really unusual situation, a unnamed German citizen alleges that one of the European Commission's own websites is readily transferring visitors' data onto servers based in the US in breach of GDPR. The complaint, which was posted on Thursday by a German organisation supporting the plaintiff in the suit, specifically calls out the website for the Conference of the Future of Europe, an event spearheaded by the European Commission to engage citizens across the bloc in policy proposals. The complainant says that registering for this conference means violating GDPR. The website for the event is hosted by Amazon Web Services, meaning every registration sends personal data like the IP address from a registrant's computer back to Amazon servers based in the USA, according to the suit. On top of that, the complaint notes that the conference's website lets registrants log in with their Facebook account, potentially exposing Europeans on yet another front. Facebook is in the middle of a separate thorny legal battle in Ireland over accusations that it, too, was illegally catapulting EU residents' data over to the USA. At the time, EU officials noted that US intelligence operatives and law enforcement officials could tap these companies for easy access to just about anyone's data, and that includes data from European residents. With no real way to protect Europeans from having the USA cops snooping on their citizens, the legal basis for cross-border data transfers between the two regions crumbled. This, of course, is the famous Matt Srems 2 case. American and European authorities have been left scrambling to come up with a new, safer way to transfer European data across the pond. Indeed, that's something we mentioned earlier in this week's episode of GDPR Weekly Show. But until that's in place, that practice is more or less illegal. According to the lawsuit issued by the German citizen, the European Commission doesn't appear to have dropped the memo. The anonymous German plaintiff behind this case has asked the Commission about how the portal was handling its personal data, and according to the lawsuit, it only offered a half of an answer. The second inquiry wasn't answered at all, which it says is another alleged GDPR violation. We will, of course, keep an eye on this case as it progresses its way through the legal system and bring you updates here on the GDPR Witchy Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. Cisco has confirmed a breach of its network where the attacker used voice phishing to convince an employee to accept a malicious multi-factor authentication push. The breach resulted in attackers gaining access to the company's virtual private network, VPN, and the theft of an unspecified number of files from the network, the company stated on August 10, 2022. It's understood that the attacker compromised the Cisco employee's personal Google account which gave them access to the workers' business credentials through the synchronised password store in Google Chrome. To bypass the multi-factor authentication protecting access to Cisco's corporate VPM, the attacker attempted voice phishing, or phishing, and repeatedly pushed MFA authentication requests to the employee's phone. Eventually, the worker, either inadvertently or through alert fatigue, accepted the push request, giving the attacker access to Cisco's network. 
Cisco acknowledged the incident, maintaining that the company discovered the breach on May the 24th, but did not identify any impact to their business as a result of the incident. In a statement, Cisco said, We took immediate action to contain and eradicate the bad actors, remediate the impact of the incident, and further harden our IT environment. No ransomware has been observed or deployed, and Cisco has successfully blocked attempts to access Cisco's network since discovering the incident. Cisco believes that the threat actor is an initial access broker, an adversary that gains unauthorized access to corporate networks and then sells that access as a service on the dark web. The threat actor appears to have ties to the UNC 2447 Cybertron gang, Lapsus Threat Actor Group, and Van Lu Wang ransomware operators. The threat actor, or its affiliates, spoke in English with various international accents and dialects and claimed to be part of a support organization known to the worker. If we get any update on this from Cisco, we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Kuala Lumpur now, and on August the 12th, Malaya's central bank said the nation's payment system remains secure despite a potential data breach announced by the payment gateway service provider, iPay88. The breach originated from and is confined to iPay's 88 payment card systems and does not involve vulnerabilities in the bank systems, Malaya Central Bank said in a statement. Malaya Central Bank said forensic investigations are still ongoing. Pixie, a service which provides anti-theft measures for photographers who put their images onto Flickr, appears to have had a data breach. In an email to its users, Pixie says, We have been informed of an IT issue that we have promptly addressed. We have examined our logs and can find no evidence that this was used or exploited on any accounts, nor was your data water or impacted. Have an abundance of caution, we have invalidated your password, meaning you'll need to reset your password when you next log into Pixie. You can do this by visiting https my.pixie.com forward slash login forward slash reset or clicking on the forgot your password link on our login screen and entering your email address. You will then receive an email with a unique password reset link. Anyone who has trouble resetting their password should contact the Pixie support team. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Massachusetts now, and on August the 9th, 2022, AccuSoft Corporation, based in Florida, reported a data breach with the Massachusetts Office of Consumer Affairs and Business Regulation. While AccuSoft did not publicly disclose the data types that were leaked as a result of the incident, under state reporting requirements, the company need only report a breach if it involved customers' social security numbers, financial account information, driver's license numbers, or state identification numbers. Thus, while it can't be confirmed, it would appear that the AccuSoft breach involved at least one of these data types. After confirming the breach and identifying all affected parties, AccuSoft began sending out data breach letters to all affected parties. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To New Jersey now, and on August the 9th, Acorn Financial Services confirmed that the company experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to sensitive consumer data contained on Acorn's network through an email-based cyber attack. According to Acorn, the breach resulted in names, addresses, dates of birth, driver's license numbers, financial account numbers, social security numbers, and other account-related information being compromised. Acorn is understood to have sent out data breach letters to all the affected parties, informing them of the incident and what they can do to protect themselves from identity theft and other frauds. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. 
The American Data Privacy and Protection Act, the ADPPA, is finally on its way to changing the face of U.S. data protection legislation on a federal level. This is a whole new idea for the U.S. because up to now, all the data protection laws have been on a state level. So we've had things like the Californian Consumer Privacy Act, the CPA, and acts in various other states, but nothing across the U.S. as a whole. But this federal move seeks to address that. The ADPPA was introduced to the U.S. House of Representatives in July 2022. This is the first time a federal privacy legislation in the U.S. has advanced to the full chamber vote of the House. The introduction of the ADPPA marks a significant milestone, even if further legislation is expected to be delayed by the U.S. midterm elections in November this year. So far, the only states which have any real sort of privacy legislation are, as we say, California with the California Consumer Privacy Act, Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, Virginia, and active bills are working their way through in Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. So how does ADPPA compare to GDPR? Well, the general concept of ADPPA is similar to many other national privacy laws, including GDPR. The key principles are transparency, data minimization, necessity, and proportionality. The scope of data protected by ADPPA is very broad and does significantly cross over with the definition of personal data under GDPR. The ADPPA applies to covered data, referring to information that identifies or could be linked with other information to identify an individual. However, covered data has significant exclusion. Different roles are associated with different types of obligations. For instance, a covered entity under ADPPA is comparable to a controller under GDPR and the service provider under APPA is comparable to a data processor under GDPR. Certain types of organisations subject to the ADPPA will be required to produce and maintain documents which are similar to those required under GDPR, such as privacy policies, contracts with service providers, and impact assessments. The concept of sensitive data under ADPPA is comparable to the concept of special category personal data under GDPR. However, the definition of sensitive covered data differs significantly from the definition of special categories of personal data under GDPR. And just like GDPR, individuals have the right to request access, correction and deletion of covered data and to port covered data subject to certain conditions. So if those are similarities, what are the differences? Well, covered data has some significant exclusions as the term does not include employee data and data that's been put in the public domain. The term individuals, which can be compared to data subjects under GDPR, only covers U.S. residents. The term covered entity does not include federal, state or governmental bodies, i.e. any state or governmental body will be outside of the scope of ADPPA. Sensitive covered data includes information which is not considered as special data as personal data under GDPR, such as government-issued identifiers, financial account numbers, precise geolocation, private communication, and information relating to individuals under the age of 17, although of course that can be related to being similar to the children's shows here in the UK. Covered entities and service providers that qualify as large data holders are subject to additional obligations under ADPPA, whereas small businesses are exempt from certain obligations in order to reduce their admin and financial burden, namely in the area of data security. Companies of the same group are not considered third parties. This may result in a privilege for data transfers within a group of companies. The rights of individuals, such as for access, deletion and correction, are further restricted compared to restrictions under GDPR. And there are no specific enforcement instruments under the new ADPPA on a federal level. On a state level, the ADPPA would be enforced by the State Attorney General in a civil action against an organisation. As such, there's no specific defined fines, unlike in GDPR. 
for organisations who breach ADPPA will be subject to pay damages as per GDPR. Obviously, at the moment, it's only a bill. It's got to work its way through the US parliamentary system. And who knows, it may change significantly by the time it becomes an act. But we will trip an eye on this as it progresses through the federal system in the USA to see what emerges and what impact it might have for us here concerning GDPR and data transfers to and from the USA. Just over a year after launching a major project targeting thousands of sites blatantly fouling cookie tracking in Europe, Regional Privacy Campaign Group, NOYB, has fired off another batch of complaints targeting hardcore website operators that it says have ignored or not fully acted upon earlier warnings to bring their cookies and scent banners into compliance with the EU's legal standard for consent, such as GDPR. NOYB says the latest batch of 226 complaints have been lodged with 18 data protection authorities around the EU. As with earlier actions by NYB, all the complaints relate to the most widely used cookie banner software made by one trust. But it's not the software itself that's the issue, rather the company's target deceptive settings it found being applied, or even no choice at all being offered to site users denied tracking in a clear breach of the law around consent. Deceptive cookie pop-ups have had a corrosive impact not only on the privacy rights of web users in the EU, systematically stripping people of their right to protect their information, but they've also been very damaging for reputation of EU data protection rules like GDPR, enabling critics to blame the regulation for spawning a tsunami of annoying cookie banners despite the fact that all clearly outlaws consent theft via cynical tactics like injecting one-way friction or offering users no real opt-out choice. Given NLYB's focus on impact and the extremely widespread nature of cookie consent problems, the campaign group has sought to minimise how many formal complaints it's filing with regulators. We want to ensure compliance, ideally without filing cases. If a company, however, continues to violate the law, we are ready to enforce users' rights, said Matt Srems, chairman of NOYB. After one year, we dropped to the hopeless cases that hardly react to any invitation or guidance. These cases will now have to go to the relevant authorities, he said. Discussing progress to date, a spokeswoman for NOYB said, We have seen an increase in compliance rate in our regular stands, where we stand several thousand websites in Europe using the CMP1 Trust, after our first round of warnings last May. This is probably due to an increased awareness due to our complaints. The fear that this law might actually be enforced, and because one trust proactively informed their customers about our complaints and adjusted their standard settings to be NOYB compliant. Therefore, we consider those websites that still violate GDPR, despite all the warnings as hopeless cases. All of them are new cases, so none of the companies targeted already last year are in that batch. The so-called hopeless cases include a mix of smaller media sites, popular retailers and local pages. As for examples, she pointed to sites including owl.com, menshouse.com, booking.com and fashion retailer About You. Other high-profile sites which is understand are being targeted include fifa.com and streaming giant hbo.com. Now that this final round of one trust complaints has been filed, NOYB says it will move on to sites using other so-called consent management platforms, expanding the scope of its automated complaint come compliance platform to cover rival consent management platforms such as TrustDark, CookieBot, UserCentrix and Croncast. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdpowerweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week, or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. 
Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.